Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Uh, by faith, lesson number two, we're talking about faith and its operation in the life of the believer in the book of Habakkuk, chapter uh, 2 and verse 4. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. You and I can never ever overemphasize the importance faith places, faith really in the, in the life of a believer, the place that it holds in your life and in my life. Just the very fact that the scriptures teach us without faith we can't please God. And last week we talked about 21 different things that involve our personal faith in God. But the fact that we can't please God without faith should motivate each and every one of us to do a study just on that subject alone. And find out as much as we possibly can about faith and how it works. Here in this particular text, which was the main text that we used, he talks about two different mindsets. He talks about two different ways. He talks about two different faiths, if you really look carefully into it. Two different mindsets. The mindset of the proud or the prideful person and the mindset of the humble person. Two different ways. The way of man and the way of God. Two different faiths. Faith in reason or faith in the spoken word or written word of God. Now, why is this important to us? Well, we're going to give you some scriptures to show you why. In Matthew 9, 29, Jesus made this statement. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. In other words, the things we experience in this life are the product of our faith, what we believe in. And Jesus made that very clear. That is a principle. And you might think, well, that's just for those people that were blind. No, that is a principle. According to our faith, it will be done to us. And look at some other scriptures. Look at Matthew 8 and verse 13 to show you how this is really played out in scripture. Jesus said to the centurion, go thy way as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. In Matthew 15, uh, verse 28, the centurion got his, his servant healed. How? By his faith. Here, we have this woman, and her daughter is possessed of a devil. Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee. Notice, be it unto thee, even as you will. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. So by her faith, her daughter was delivered and set free from demonic oppression and possession. And thank God, I can't even begin to imagine what that would be like to live with her in that condition. And then also in uh, Mark's gospel, chapter 5, we know this woman called the woman with the issue of blood. For 12 years, she was suffering with this condition. And she finally found Jesus and touched the hem of his garment. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of your plague. So what did she get? According to her faith is what she got. And so did the others as well. And it doesn't stop there. Look in Mark's gospel chapter 10 and verse 52. Here we have 
uh, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, your faith has made you whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. It doesn't stop there. You look in Luke's Gospel, chapter 17 and verse 19. Now we have a leper, one of the ten. He said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Your faith made you whole. So once again, we see, as Jesus said in Matthew 9, 29, According to your faith, be it unto thee. So faith plays a very big role in our lives. As a matter of fact, everything that we receive that Jesus bought and paid for comes by the way of faith. And without having faith in what Jesus did for us, even though he did it and it belongs to us, and the table's been set for us, we're not going to be able to receive it apart from our act of faith. And so that's why it's so important we study this subject and find out as much as we possibly can so that we can receive what belongs to us. Now also, as I was kind of meditating along this line, you ever have this happen to you? It just kind of floated up in my spirit. Something just kind of floats up in your spirit and then illuminates your mind. I heard these words, lessons, lessons from Naaman. And I thought, hmm, okay, what does Naaman have to do with what we're talking about here? Well, he perfectly illustrates the two mindsets, the two ways, and the two faiths. And so we're going to look a little bit at the life of Naaman and see what happened to him. As you know that he was uh, struck with leprosy. And how he overcame it, but almost lost his miracle because of his stubbornness. But look in second. This is from Second Kings chapter five, and we're going to learn some lessons from uh, the life of Naaman. First of all, number one, a person's position in life does not exempt him from any adversity, troubles, tribulations, trials, circumstances, adversity. It doesn't matter what your position is in life. I don't think that. A person's position is the concern of any kind of sickness or disease. But let's read it. Second Kings chapter 5, look at verse 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable. Because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria, he was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. He was a leper. Now do you think that leprosy had any concern about his position. We know that he was a man that was highly decorated, highly respected among the people, but leprosy wasn't concerned. Leprosy wasn't impressed with his credentials whatsoever. Leprosy didn't stop by his door one day and just say, oh, you're a mighty man of valor, I better move away. Or maybe you're a president, or maybe you're a king, or maybe you're this, or maybe you're that, a lawyer, a doctor, whatever your position might be in life. Sickness and disease, or anything else, trouble, tribulation, adversity, trials, and all those circumstances that are negative in life are not concerned about what your position is in life. Right? Sickness and disease, or whatever comes to all of us. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 16. Here we have uh, Jesus speaking. These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world, there's a slim chance or a possibility that you might have tribulation. No. In the world, you what? Shall means will. You will have tribulation. 
trials, adversity, circumstances, all kinds of things coming against you. But be of good cheer. Oh, come on. Really, Lord? I have overcome the world. So I'm supposed to be of good cheer because I know it's all coming my way. But he overcame the world. Let's read that in the Amplified uh, Version of the Bible. I have told you these things so that in me you might have perfect peace and confidence in the world you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. But be of good cheer. Take courage. Be confident, certain, undaunted. For I have overcome the world and I have deprived it of power to harm you and, and have conquered it for you. Boy, I like that translation, don't you? So it may come our way, but how do we overcome the world? Jesus overcame the world, and 1 John says in chapter 5 and verse 4, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our what? Faith. Not our efforts, not our power, not our brain power, not our financial resources and all that. We overcome the world by our faith in Him because He overcame the world for us and denied its power or deprived its power to harm us. And so by faith, you see, we need to understand this operation of faith. It's important to us. Why? Because it doesn't matter what your status is in life. You can be attacked and so can I. And we all will experience all these things. Point number two. Here now, God can use anyone. Beginning at verse two. Let's read these verses. He can use anyone. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away a captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. Notice, this woman is a slave. This young girl is a slave. And as far as her value is concerned, they only valued her as a slave. They didn't highly respect her or highly regard her or anything of that nature. But she didn't hide her faith in God. And she didn't hide her witness. And she was not going to sit back and just watch something unfold before her and not do what she possibly could to intervene. God could use a woman like this, a young woman in a foreign land. She's a foreigner to these people. And usually they wouldn't even give them any respect whatsoever, especially she had all these things going against her. She's a foreigner and she's a woman and she's a slave. But does it matter? God can use you. God can use me. God can use all of us. God can use a donkey. And if he can use a donkey, he can use you and he could use me. Can you say amen? Absolutely to carry out his purposes. And that's exactly what he did. This girl told her, Mistress, Mrs. Naaman, we'll call her, about the, this prophet Elisha who was in Israel, who came from Israel. And if you would just go to him, he'll get recovered of his leprosy. Now remember, that's unheard of during that time. Completely unheard of that something like that could occur. But yet, God used her, and that's where the miracle began. Number three. Point number three. God's and man's ways differ. Lo and behold, God's and man's ways differ. Look at uh, verses 9 through 12. There's a big difference because God's ways are higher than our ways and God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. 
So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. Wow. Simple as that. But Naaman was ecstatic, grateful, thankful, appreciative. No, he was what? Wroth. He was angered. He was angry. He was upset. He was frustrated to the point of just exploding. And he went away and said, behold, I thought, oh boy, I thought. Every time you hear yourself say those two words, think about what you're about to say next. He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Uh, excuse me, uh, Mr. Naaman. He just told you how to recover from leprosy, the dreaded disease, leprosy, and you thought. You thought it was going to happen a different way. Well, but when it didn't happen his way, he got very upset. You see, his way was logical to him and convenient to him. His rivers are closer and cleaner. So geographically, it's closer. As far as sanit being sanitary is concerned, it's cleaner. So now he has this thought process going on. First of all, why would I have to make this trip to come all the way over here to go into the muddy uh, river Jordan when I could have stayed back and just dipped in my rivers, etc.? You know what? In Proverbs 16, 25, it says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death and destruction. It may seem right to a man. So once again, we have reasoning here. We've got his way here. We got faith in reason and faith in, in his own way of doing things. This is how it should have come down. This is how it should have happened. And so he's thinking along this line. He could have dipped in his rivers a thousand times, a million times. He never would have come up clean. Had he did it his own way, according to his own reason, faith in cleaner waters and a closer place to travel, he never would have recovered from leprosy. There was no healing power in the Jordan River whatsoever. It was active obedience to do it God's way, set aside reason, and have faith in the power of Almighty God. That is what would recover the leper. And so we see here, doing it our way, it may seem right, but it doesn't always produce the results that we're looking for. As a matter of fact, it could be destructive and end in the ways of death. Next point. Ego can prevent miracles. Ego can, ego can stop miracles from taking place. Let's read it. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, 
according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Ego, pride, arrogance was stopping this man from receiving from the power of God. Wanting to do it his way. Having this arrogant, prideful mindset. Having faith in the way he could see things and human reasoning and all that. It got him nowhere. It would get him nothing. But the moment ego was dealt with, the moment his ego was set aside, the moment he realized the need to humble himself before God and do it his way, it opened up the door to the flow of the miraculous healing power of Almighty God that brought deliverance into his life. And how did God deal with the ego problem that he had, the prideful problem that he had? I'll tell you what, the scripture says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you and lift you up. Notice that word yourself in there. I'd rather humble myself than have to walk through God having to humble me by doing what this man had to do. See, God knew he was arrogant. God knew he was prideful. God knew he was depending upon his status, that he's a person of importance. As the scripture said there earlier, he's a notable individual, a noble individual. He's highly decorated as a, as a mighty man of valor and highly respected among the people because of his efforts and his abilities, maybe because of mentally his strategies and that sort of thing. Whatever it was, he's thinking that he should receive this. He has a right to receive this. He should be. If anybody should be set free from leprosy, it should be me. That's what he's thinking. But you know what? When the Lord said, dip seven times in the River Jordan, and he finally did, the first dip took off the first layer of pride because he had to take off his highly decorated coat and set it aside. But nothing happened. Then the next dip took off another layer of pride. And finally, to the seventh dip, he finally was stripped of all of his pride. And once he was stripped from all of his pride, the door was open to the the flow of divine power. I want you to see a scripture in Isaiah 57 and verse 15. A very powerful scripture here. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite ones. If anyone has a right to be egotistical, high and lifted up. It's the one who sits on the throne, the highest position in all the universe, the high and lofty one. He is the one who is worthy of all creation bowing down to him. But what kind of an example did he set? Did he sit there on his throne and just say, Look at all these people on the planet, how they rebelled against me and how awful they are. I'm going to leave them in their situation. Let them all suffer eternity in a lake of fire. No, no, he humbled himself. He sent his son. He saw us crushed to dust under the oppression of the world that we're living in because of the realms of darkness and all the evil that's taking place around us. People with broken hearts. 
peoples whose spirits had been uh, thrust apart and broken because of certain situations and calamities and that sort of thing. But he left the glory roll behind. The scripture says he humbled himself to become a man, to robe himself with flesh. He then suffered and died on the cross and then he went into the bowels of the earth. He suffered where you and I should have suffered. He was raised up from the dead. When God raised him up from the dead, he took his blood to the high court of heaven. He paid your penalty. He paid my penalty. He paid the debt, sin debt that he did not owe, but you and I owed, praise God. And he demonstrates what true humility is all about. No wonder he loves the contrite and humble spirit and hearts that we have. Why? Because that's his characteristic. He is humble. Think about what he did to save you and me and bring us up. Think about that. And when I think about that and I realize that, who am I to think that I'm someone? I mean no disrespect whatsoever when I give you this little testimony. No respect whatsoever to the medical field at all. But we're talking about individuals here. One time going to the hospital, visiting with someone who uh, had broken her leg. And it happened to be that while we were talking with her, she, when it was all done, came out of the surgery. Everything went well. The doctor came in to see her and she said, praise the Lord, thank God for what's happened to me, that I'm well, and that sort of thing. And the doctor was irate. The doctor was explosive with anger. He said, God had nothing to do with fixing your leg. It was me. I did it, not God. He had nothing to do with it whatsoever. I didn't hear, this is what she said, he said. And she was stunned by it, taken back by it, didn't know how to respond to it. I would have loved to have been there. I would have loved to have been there. And say, when you got up in the morning, did you breathe? When you opened up your eyes in the morning, did you see? Did you hear people talking when you went into the room to perform the surgery? When you went to school, did God give you a brain so that you could learn? And go on and on and on. Listen what Jesus said. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you are nothing, have nothing, know nothing, can do nothing. King Nebuchadnezzar thought it was all about him until he found out what it was like to be without God in his life. And just about himself. He became like an animal. And he lived in the wilderness. Remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar? Absolutely. Now, we have, I know, professional people here. Dr. Hayward is uh, uh, with us. I don't know if he's here today, but Dr. Hayward met with us when Dante went to the hospital, when he was attacked with Crohn's disease and all that, and how gracious he was to come there uh, and minister to us and just minister to Dante and share some things and be helpful. And every time I've been to the hospital with Dr. Hayward, any room that he was in, talking to people, because we've been there visiting other people, And in personal conversations, he says, I can do nothing. All I can do is what God has enabled me to do. And I do my part to the best of the ability that he has given me. But ultimately, I give him all the glory for everything that takes place in people's lives. I give him all the glory. That's the distinction between two ways, two mindsets, and two faiths. Can you see that? All right. So ego can prevent miracles. Faith, number five, originates with God.
not with us. And sometimes here's where we can really get hung up. I'm going to do it like this. Wait a minute. Faith originates with God. Look at verse 11. But Naaman was wroth and went his way and said, Behold, I thought. Well, what did you think, Naaman? He will surely come out to me. He will stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. So this is something that he envisioned on his own. This is how it's going to be done. I'm going to get there. I'm a man of importance. And also he's a man of importance. He's going to come out from his place of dwelling. I'm going to meet him there. And when he comes out, he's going to see me highly decorated because of who I am. And he's going to stand there before my presence. He's going to call upon the name of his, his God, strike his hand over the place. See, he had it all planned out in his thinking. This is the way it's going to be, I thought. And when it wasn't the way he thought it was supposed to be, he becomes frustrated, angered, prideful, and arrogant. And he turns and walks away. I want you to see this verse in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Faith, faith Naaman, does not originate with you. I'm sorry, buddy. But faith does not originate with you. It's not you're going to do it the way you want to do it, the way you see it done and that sort of thing. You're not taking matters into your own hands and saying this is how it's going to be accomplished. The scripture says we all, before this, the first one says that we've got a crowd of witnesses up there in the grandsons of heaven looking down, praise God, knowing that we're walking through our race, running our race with patience, etc. Setting aside the sins and the weight that so easily beset us. And while we're doing it, we are looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our what? Who's the author of our faith? Who's the finisher of our faith? That means he's the perfecter of our, of our faith. Our faith originates with him. Our faith begins with him. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He himself lived by faith. He saw joy on the other side of the cross. Okay, but he's the author. If he doesn't authorize it, then guess what? We can't have faith. You realize that if you would have gone to the River Jordan just like he did, just like Naaman did, you wouldn't have been healed of whatever condition you had just because he was? Because once he said for him to do what God said to do, that authorized faith. And when he fully did what God said to do on the seventh dip and he came out whole, that was because his faith was perfected because he did exactly what God said to do. So you see, faith originates with God. We can't just say, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. The faith message has been given a terrible name by individuals that have taken other people's testimonies and ran with them and did something that God told the other person to do themselves. I'll never forget hearing the story of the individual when I went off to school at Ramah and, and how the one person said, well, this person over here said they believed that by the stripes of Jesus he was healed and they took the son off the insulin and when they took the son off the insulin, they were instantly healed. He was instantly healed and made whole. Isn't that wonderful? Everybody shouts, everybody's praising all that. Then this other lady does the same thing, said, well, if they did it, I can do it too. And their child died. What's the difference between the two? One had the mind of God, and the other one didn't. One was parroting someone else's faith, you see, and the other one was acting in faith. Because, you see, it's, it's all about our close walk with God. And when we're walking with God and talking with God, and He gives us insight and understanding as to what we need to do in our given situation, that produces faith that we can believe. To go through something or to do something. And it's not just about healing only. It's about everything. 
I believe because this is what God has spoken to my heart. I'm going to act on what God has spoken to my heart. And that is where faith originates. And I can get that from the study of God's word. Or I can get that by the power of the Holy Spirit as he speaks to my heart about things. And yours as well. Next one. We shouldn't make hard what God basically has made simple. Look at verse 13. And his servants came near. He's in a rage now, remember. And spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. So simple. Let's go wash. If he would have told you to mount up other soldiers and go fight a war for him, if he would have told you to go do this difficult, great feat of strength or do whatever, would you not have done it? Yes, I would have done that because it would have shown who I am. In other words, I will earn it. But no. All he said for you to do is go wash in that river there seven times. Just dip seven times. It's easy. Why make it so hard? Can you say that sometimes we find ourselves being guilty of doing the same thing? He made it so easy, but we make it so difficult. His, his way, he said, take my yoke upon you, learn me. His yoke is easy, and his burden is light. Aren't you glad that Jesus is light and easy? And not heavy and hard. Heavy metal and hard rock just never did set with me either. He's light and easy. I love that light and easy channel, don't you? Just drive in your car if you do that light and easy. Heavy and hard, your just head just goes, oh. No. And let me tell you why. Jesus did the heavy and the hard for us. Mm, the weight of your sin was placed upon him. The weight of the curse was placed upon him. He was full of our sickness and disease and mental anguish that the Father placed upon him in our place, in our stead. So he took all the heavy and hard. He did the hard thing for us. He had to go into the bowels of the earth. He had to enter the strong man's house. He had to deliberate and deliver us and set us free, praise God, as he took back the power that we lost because of Adam's blunder in the very beginning. He had the hard part. See, in the world, you have, world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world for you, and now by your faith, you can overcome as well. Your faith in me, in what I did, not anybody else's accomplishments or achievements. So you see, Naaman wanted it to be based on his achievements and his accomplishments. But guess what? Leprosy wasn't impressed with his achievements or accomplishments. But let me add this. We need to get impressed with the accomplishments of Jesus. We need to be impressed with the achievements of Jesus. So you see, he gave him complete details as to how to be healed of leprosy. But this man, because of his what? Own mindset, own ways, and personal faith in his own reasoning, turned and walked away from his healing from leprosy until his lowly servants took him aside and said, Master, he didn't say to do something hard. He said to do something easy. Why wouldn't you do it? Well, then he rethought the situation and went back and did it. And he got delivered and set free. So when we do things God's way, what happens? We get God's results. And the next one. 
Obedience is absolutely essential and necessary. Absolutely essential and necessary. Again, look in the scriptures. 2 Kings 5.14 Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. Why does it take so long to get it into our skulls that God's way is the best way? And that we need to hear what God is saying. See, faith originates with God. Faith comes by hearing what God is saying or what God has spoken or what God said. So try to act apart from what God said, God is saying, or God has spoken. It's trying to take matters into our own hands and do it our way. He doesn't want us to do that. He finally did it God's way. And what happened? His flesh came again under, under the flesh like the flesh of a child, a little child, and he was clean. He was completely delivered from leprosy. And it was as simple as just doing it the way God said to do it. Knowing that God said to do it, and he did it God's way. Look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. It's a principle that applies to us today. It's not just for them back then. It applies to us today. If you be willing and obedient, if you be willing and obedient, notice those two factors. Willingness, number one. Obedience, number two. I must be willing to do it God's way. Not in a huff. I'll go do it the way God said. Oh, okay, he said to do this. I'm going to go do that. You don't want to do anything that way. That's not a good attitude. Willing and obedient. All right, I'll go, Lord, because you said to go. But I'm, I'm just going to go because you said to go. But I don't really want to go. I don't really it's like that kid that's standing in the corner. I'm really sitting down, teacher. I may be standing in the corner, but I'm sitting from my heart. I am sitting. Or the opposite. Either way, sitting in the corner, I'm standing. Willing. I must be willing to do it God's way. And I must be obedient to do it God's way. To follow through. You shall what? Eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. And so when we're talking about this life of faith, by faith, we're talking about not just receiving healings, not just receiving miracles, but we're talking about living a life of obedience to God by living our lives according to the sayings of God, the way He said we're to live, doing things His way when it comes to everyday life. Look, by faith, Noah, he didn't receive healing, he built an ark, right? And that took faith for him to build an ark. Okay, when Abraham left the Ur of the Chaldees to find a city and builder whose maker is God, it wasn't receiving a personal healing or anything like that or deliverance. He left by faith. Why? He was instructed to go by God. God gave him the directive. He was the one that told him what to do so he could have faith to go and do it. When I left Youngstown to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma, trust me, I wasn't leaving Youngstown to go to Tulsa knowing I would come back to Midland. Youngstown to Midland, ah, 40 miles, 45 miles at the most, right? Youngstown to Tulsa to Midland, a thousand, a thousand. Big difference, wouldn't you say? Logically, Makes no sense. But in a short period of time, I went from Youngstown to Tulsa, back to Youngstown 
to Midland to pastor the church. Why? Because God said to go. God said to do it. And when he sent me there, I had faith to believe him for what we needed. Why? Because he gave me the directive. He's the one that said to go. Just like Abraham had to leave looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. I was looking just for the same thing. Just to find out where you want me to go and what do you want me to do. And you could have faith to do it because he is the author of your faith. And so that's exactly what we did. It takes faith. In other words, to do what God tells us to do. Anybody here know it takes faith to love your enemy? How many of you know it takes faith to love your enemy? How many of you know it ta takes faith to give your tithes? You've got to believe in something. You've got to believe in the process, in the principle of doing it. And that's another story. There's so, so much to even say about something like that. It also takes faith just to be here today. Because you're believing that God has given you a directive to assemble with other people of like precious faith in an assembly like this, all the more when you see the day of his coming approaching. And we know it's coming, and it's closer now than ever it's been before, right? But we do this, we're here today because we believe there's something to be said for doing what he is saying to do. And so that's why we're here. So in our conclusion, it's important to know that faith must know what God says either by his word or by his spirit, and then faith must do it. And so when it comes to our, our services and the way we're conducting our services, like on Sunday morning, and we've been also on Wednesday evening, you notice that we've been saving our praise and worship period of time until after this, the preaching of the message. Okay? Because we want, we're reversing things, I believe, by divine direction. The word produces faith, does it not? When you hear the word, faith comes, right? We're not just singing a song just in order to let everybody know we're going we're to start our service now. And sometimes the first song is a call to worship, like the blowing of the shofar, a call to worship. And so we're all going to worship right now. You can come up here, praise God. Okay? We preach the word, and you hear the word that produces faith. Now, I don't know where your heart is at. I know where my heart is right now. I don't want just the anointing. I want the glory. I want the glory. You sing a praise song. You get hyped up. And the anointing can fall. And let it fall. Let it touch your heart. Let it touch your mind. But then also, as you worship, as we worship, worship gives place to the greater glory of God. We want the glory to blanket this place. Because you see, there's certain things that God can do and wants to do when a people come together truly from the heart, worshiping God from the depth of their soul, ministering to Him. And when He shows up, oh, my brother and my sister, we're shifting gears. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. 
Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and I'll accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.